I'm going to thank him. I'm really going to thank him. Chris Herndon joins me now. Chris, what are we listening to? Uh, I'm going to thank him by the R&B duo vocal group, The Spaniels. Um, in honor of Thanksgiving week, and I guess we'll send that out to Fred Smith today. <laughs> Um, not quite a deity, but like close enough for rock and roll. You know? God. Is this a, is this a de- who is he thanking? The deity here? Is that who he's thanking in this song? In this tune? I, mean, I, I, I think I think they're you know you, you made the grass and trees. I think they're talking to God. It's the Lord above. I I wasn't focused. I was yeah. I, I wasn't carefully listening to the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, so, um, all right, so he's going to thank him. Yeah, no, Fred, no deity, but uh, big day uh, over there. You have you commented on Twitter. I don't know how much you want to say about any of this, but you did comment on Twitter that it's kind of wild that the uh, Grizzlies had to give their consent to this stadium deal. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense when you get into, once you get into the political weeds of it and the machinations. Right. But if you step back from it, just from a the way government processes should work, like and the Grizzlies have nothing to do with this, right? And don't need to have anything to do with this. And I do think it was, it was initially, it was set on that course by the state, just allocating money broadly. If the state had allocated, here's 120 million. This is specifically allocated for Liberty Stadium, and this whatever is allocated for FedEx Forum, then like you know, you, yes. you don't get into that situation. But. It's, it's also, to me, partly sort of how Memphis has functioned around major project kind of stuff and around this kind of stuff in recent years. It reminds me of the, um, the like, decade of mediation around Tomley Park and, like, the decade of mediation around Overton Park when, like, they're both just city parks that the city controls and the city could, like, make decisions about stuff. Um, but that's sort of how we do things in Memphis for some reason. And so here we are. The Grizzlies have given consent. For, for, for this money that, that does not come from them to be allocated by people who are not them to something that is not them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it is, I mean, it's pretty clear. <clears throat> and certainly from the Grizzlies' perspective, I think, they, they have not enjoyed this process of being, right. I, 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 you know, we're, we're, wait, we're supposed to say whatever. We want, the Grizzlies want their deal to extend a new lease. And if you, right. if and the you, University of Memphis wanted their deal, right. those, and, those and, are both rational things for right. those two entities to want, right? And if they're saying, if you, well, why should it? Like, I, we don't want to be telling you how much you can spend towards this or that or whatever else. Like, if if you're if you're if you're renting an apartment from someone, you're you just you just deal with your landlord and hope he comes up with enough money. You don't care where your landlord's getting the money, where he's spending the money from. You don't want to be involved, and that's what is happening here. Is that right. they've been forced to be involved. It's also true that because, and maybe it's, I don't know if the way it just works in this city, but because you're serving so many masters and so many different agendas, it sometimes right. feels that what you get is less than it should be for anybody. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know whether that will work out. Like, people like Tom Lee Park. The people who have been down there, I think, like it. But, but in their need to try to mollify... Uh, you know the Memphis and May folks who maybe or leave seem to be leaving anyway. Right. Like, like, what was the point you of that? Made, you made all kinds of adjustments to the park plan to be a mediation that that made it different from what you would have otherwise built, right. and you do, and then yeah. And now they're gone no, anyway. And then here at, over here at the arena, like I, I think there's a very reasonable argument that is 
like right now they're fighting evidently. Sam Hardiman and Bill Drees are, are, are fighting about whether the Liberty Bowl will actually be transferred to the University of Memphis or not. Like there's already some pushback on so, city council. So do about you that. think that's a good idea? My instinct is that's a good idea, but I haven't really I think thought it, it through. I, I well, that's exactly right. Where my instinct is it's a good idea because um I mean the truth of the matter is a lot of the things that are very well run in this city have been taken from the city and put it into private hands, like Shelby Farms, right? Overton Park's another one. Like, if right. you, the city has its hands full. And so, and my experience at the Liberty Bowl has been, um, it's been just horribly maintained. It's been horribly taken care of. There's never enough, you know, you go to, if opening day, the, 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 the entranceway doesn't work. or the, Like, there's always, and it's because no one has complete control of it. And so I think they, when the University of Memphis, if they own it or run it, at least are responsible for it, they will be incentivized. You know what it is? It's a little bit like capitalism versus communism. They'll be be incentivized to take care of it. And I, so I fundamentally, now I also think it's, I'm a believer in mixed economies, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The the devil's in the details. Like who's paying for repairs? I don't know. Like who's, does that mean if they're running it, that they also have to keep it up? Do they like, there's a lot of things. What happens to the actual Liberty Bowl game or the, uh, I mean, I'm sure they get to play there. Southern Heritage Classic. Southern Heritage Classic. Or or whatever minor league football team is going to play there any given season. Any changes or things they want. Once upon a time, though, early on when I was here, the University of Memphis wasn't allowed to put their Tiger logo on the field because the stadium ran the thing, which is just stupid. So, um, I mean, because the Park Commission ran the thing. So I'm generally in favor of it, but it does feel like, I was going to make the argument, you can make an argument that, in a perfect world, they would just have an on-campus stadium, and we wouldn't be doing this. And but it's because well, that's what I wonder about. And I've never been to the degree that I care or anyone cares what I think about right. University of Memphis sports. I've never been a like you got to build an on-campus stadium guy necessarily, just because of the, right. the the cost of that relative to other things to do on campus, and because of like that stadium is actually kind of close to campus. Like it's not that far away from if right. you if you're building on the south campus or whatever. It's not that big of a difference. But when you're talking about $200 million not coming specifically from the university, 120 in state and, 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 and uh, listen, 100 million in privately raised. Yeah. I do wonder if you got 220 million to spend, maybe like, is it really pointed into like, you know, a 50 year old stadium or whatever it is, the right, the best use of that money. But I don't know. Right. And I would have told you that, that, well, and I still think this is true. I think people operate in the world of what's possible. And for political reasons, I don't, whatever, you know, whatever they are. Oddly, though, before today, I would have said, in fact, I have told you that I think that some of it is because the city owns the stadium and you couldn't have gotten money for a, for a university owned stadium. But now we're imagining a world where the university is going to own the Liberty Bowl. So I, I don't right. it's an interesting question. Um, and yeah. obviously, the hope here is that uh, uh, the uh, massive hope here is that the Grizzlies and the city can work out their deal. But that sound, seems like it'll happen under the Paul Young administration um and so we will hope for the best there okay over to the grizzlies um yep. <clears throat> so injuries more injuries canard that, that's what they do man they, 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 <laughs> so they don't need the league in points in the paint anymore <laughs> or fast break points or running alley oops they are keen injury report that's our rallying cry this season that year under jaeger when they played 27 players 28 the great 28 was it 28 players I ranked them. There was another year later where they actually topped that, but that was after you created the G League stuff. 
And so I, I, um, I, I power rank those players at the end of the season. <laughs> I, Shout I out Brianna that. Weber. <laughs> I remember that. Like, were those, I guess the, was that, that was happening at the end of a playoff year though, right? That was happening at the yeah, end. Yeah, that was, that was, um, things went off the rails mid season. It was later in the season that things went off the rails. Um, rather than the very beginning right. of the season, but, um, it was the Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley injuries happened like midway through the years. So they built up a, enough wins, and then the, that's, that's the team I believe that got swept by the Spurs in the first round. That's the playoff series of the seven years of grid grind. No one remembers, and I don't either. I remember Dave Yeager crying, but I don't remember right. any, a second of any of those games. No, I remember the power going out in Game Four. That's what I remember. The right. power went out across the city in Game Four. And we just sat there, and then Dave Yeager cried, and that was it. So. Um, yeah. But we don't. We we aren't approaching that in terms of like number of players. Like, are, are we like? No, no. And with that, that that was an end of the season. Things off the rails. You start cycling guys in and out of some of these like temporary spots. So we haven't reached that level of like you know they brought in Bizak Biombo. They haven't brought in anybody new. Um, I've seen some suggestion. You know, can they get a hardship exception for one of these spots? I haven't looked into the details of that. But I, I even if technically yes, I don't think they would bother. I don't think the Kennard and Tillman stuff is going to last long enough for them to bother with something like that right now, even if it were right. technically available to them. And so, you know, it is what it is. Part of what happened yesterday, I don't know whether anyone else has written or talked about this, so I may be going over ground that's already people already gone on. But um, part of what happened yesterday was changes, as I understand it, was some league policy changes around how injury stuff gets reported. It, it, was, it was more of that than changes to the substance of the situations with Luke Kennard and, and, and Xavier Tillman. Um, on the Tillman thing, uh, you know, they, they're, they're trying to get away from indefinite use of the phrase knee soreness, which is sort of a catch-all. Like, if you got a guy who was out, you just say he has knee soreness. And so now they're saying, you know, it, knee injury recovery is the new semantics that the NBA wants, which begs the question of, like, mm-hmm. when did he get injured? And the answer is he didn't get injured. He just has knee soreness because he's an NBA player. Some <laughs> NBA players have sore knees. Like, that's really all it is. It's not a new injury. It's just he's got knee soreness. But the league doesn't want them to just call it knee soreness for two weeks. So that's what it is with Tillman. He just has knee soreness. Kennard has a real injury. But the thing with that one is, as I understand it, I don't know whether this is a league thing or a players association thing, but apparently they're wanting them to get away from the, like, you know, three to five weeks, two to four weeks, those kind of stuff which they did with Marcus Smart, and to leave it more open-ended. And that's why you get the will be reevaluated in two weeks. My understanding is that the Grizzlies aren't expecting the Canard thing to last much more than two weeks. All right, so what do you expect uh, tomorrow night? They play again. What do you expect? Who do you expect the starters to be, and what do you expect the rotation to look like? So I think the starting thing has gone well enough in the last game and a half that they've done that as a starting lineup that surely they're going to stick with it. Um, to me, the backcourt thing is more of a question. Um, you know, Conchar individually wasn't particularly good, and the team actually lost his minutes on the floor pretty significantly in that Boston game. But collectively, it gives them sort of more size, more rebounding, whatever. Um, you know, that was a Boston team. That was, that was a Spurs team that was big on the perimeter, and it was a Boston team that was big on the perimeter. And Houston's a team that starts Fred Van Vliet, who's – you know, like 5'10". You know, he's taller than Jacob Gilliard, but, like, not by much. And so I wonder if they would go back to Gilliard in the starting lineup at point guard and away from Conchar. But I think that's probably the only decision being made. Uh, otherwise, I, you know, I think, you know, they'll run out basically that lineup. Um, and then, I mean, the idea with Gilliard was to have a true point guard there, right? And Conchar is not yeah. that, and they didn't so... Right. Um, I, it was... 
yes, you gave up some offensive facilitation. Um, you 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 got more defensive rebounding, but putting um, Santi in the in the lineup gave you another place for the ball to go, for a guy to create some shots. And so, you know, there's some give or take there. So I don't. I, to me, it's defensible either way on that other backcourt spot. Derrick Rose came back and was injured again. Well, that yeah. I mean, he 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 came back. It's not that he got injured again. It's that they didn't, right. they didn't want to play him on Rest both halves of the back to back. Right. And so that's an interesting question. If they if they keep keep Conchar in the starting lineup, which is probably most likely, are they going to play Rose and Gilliard off the bench, or is right. it going to be one or the other? And that will be an interesting sort of rotation thing to watch. Um, I guess tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. The other the other uh, uh, it's funny. Twitter is its own place. That's for sure. Um, yes. <laughs> there has been a lot of uh, why isn't Vince Williams playing more? Vince Williams playing more. He was terrific defensively against the Celtics, and why is still we get the Kenneth Lofton Jr. Uh, playing more? Your thoughts? Um, well, I mean, they both played in, they in the rotation, yeah. back into the rotation, but in the rotation, um, Tillman being out sort of creates Tillman being out along with Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams certainly creates opportunity for Lofton playing Santi. Starting Santi at the three creates a little more opportunity there. You're basically you have four front court players, and you're starting three of them. So I think that suggests Lofton is going to be playing. Williams, you know, Williams has started at not the bottom of the list because that's Gigi Jackson, but next to bottom, and it sort of has to work his way up as a two-way, and he's playing ahead of Jake, uh, Jake LaRavia for sure right now. Right. I think Smart and Kennard both being out creates opportunity, and so I think you'll see both those guys in the rotation um, tonight. I, I am, I have always enjoyed the Kenneth Lofton experience, I think he's got real NBA skills. There was a question about that translating. I think those questions have been more highlighted now that he's gotten more opportunity. With Vince Williams, it's just like, are you going to make open threes or not? Because otherwise, he's an NBA player. Like, he's an NBA-level defender. I have zero doubt about that. So, I really like him. And to me, the question is just like, are you going to be able to make shots at a certain rate or not? And you only find out that by by getting a chance to do it. Zion Williams doesn't make them. No, that's right. There's no guarantee he's going to make them. You, <laughs> you know? know, but no, but I mean, like, but he gets run. Ten. He gets Zaire Williams gets run, and he never makes them either. You know, like there are advantages. There are advantages to being a top ten pick on the roster versus a second round pick on a two way. You know, that there you start at a certain spot in the pecking order, and you earn your way up or down, basically. Do you think right now? Okay, let's take the let's, let's take the wings. Uh, Zaire, Roddy, uh, Vince Williams, and uh, and Jake Laravia. Uh, you're you're getting a, you you get to start the Harringtons uh, and put them wherever you want. A team. What order are you taking those rings on your wings on your draft board, uh, irrespective of salary or anything else? Pure ability. Yeah, that 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 is tough because um, no matter you could do it really literally in any order of those four, and you could be right or wrong on that. I you know I'm not ready to totally pull the plug on Jake Laravia. But I gotta put him fourth on the list. He right. has, you know, a he hasn't really proven it when he's gotten to play, and b he seems like he's injured all the time with all kinds of weird little stuff. They seem to have him fourth on their list now, right? I mean, almost yeah, by definition, yeah. right? You know, yeah. Um, I, I think, and maybe this is you know more bad money after good, but I still gotta go with Zaire one. As disappointing as it can be, he has had moments like. Right. His, his second half against, you know, the Spurs yeah, like two yeah. games ago is like better than any half of NBA basketball Vince Williams has played, right? Right. And so then you get into the Williams-Roddy thing, and Roddy has proven a lot more. 
but Roddy to me is still a little bit like Lofton, where like you just you're not sure if it totally fits in NBA basketball and how it fits. And I feel like the ceiling on Roddy is like energy guy, nice man, energy guy. Whereas I think if Williams can be a 38% three point shooter, I don't know whether he can, but if he can, like he can be your fifth starter, three and D, classic three and D guy. So I'm sort of leaning Williams over Roddy a little bit. And then finally, I'll, people can read your piece on Santi Aldama, which they should. I've tweeted it out. Uh, you wrote about Santi yesterday. The Laurie Markkinen comparison. Yeah. I mean, you were comparing him in their third year or their, yeah, yeah, whatever, I, I, their, their year 23 year. Laurie Markkinen then took a big leap. That's didn't right. He? Like, That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I'm talking about Laurie Markkinen at the same stage. So Laurie Markkinen right. at the same stage was still a good, really good player. But he took a leap from a good player to an all-star player two years later. So is Santiago Gama going to take a leap like that? Probably not. I mean, maybe, but I mean, who knows? Probably not. But I do think in terms of the way he plays at that, that age, I do think there, I don't think it's a, it's a totally out there comp. I mean, there's no guarantee he takes the same kind of step forward, but I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I think that comp is pretty decent, yep. better than some others I've seen throw out there, Pascal Siakam or whatever. There are some differences in terms of just their raw skill set. I think Santi is actually has more skill as a ball handler yep. and a passer and a little bit springier. I think Markkinen's frame was built to add strength better, and he's a better pure shooter, so they're a little different. But the idea that Santi could be a starting caliber sort of combo forward type, I, I don't know that we're that far off from that. All right. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.